Acts 3 verses 1 through 19 is where we'll be this morning. Um, I don't think it's a secret, but I have a southern accent, all right? Uh, I grew up in Rocky Mount, and I didn't realize I had a southern accent because I didn't sound as redneck as some of the people from Rocky Mount did. And so, but here's when I realized that I have a southern accent. It's when I moved to upstate New York, and all of my roommates, I had three roommates from New York City, I had two roommates from New Jersey, and I had one roommate from Vermont. And I will never forget the very first time I met all of my roommates in upstate New York when I was in school. I walk in the dorm room, and I began to talk, hey, y'all, and they were just like, they stopped, they looked at me, and they said, uh, do you... And this is one of the guys, real genuine question. Did you grow up on a farm? And then they brought in their other Yankee friends. They would just sit and watch me talk. Hey, say this. How do you say this? How do you say this? And I, and, and I didn't realize how Southern I sounded until I got in front of these guys. Now, I thought they talked weird, too. Like, I grew up, my name has been Ben for a long time. All right, and they changed my name. They put an A in there instead of an E. They call me Ben for some reason. That has never been my name. I've never grown up eating pecan. I've grown up eating pecans, not pecans. Right? I didn't grow up. I, I called if a drink was a drink, I called it that drink. So if it was a Coke, I called it a Coke. If it was a Sprite, I called it a Sprite. If it was a Dr Pepper, I called it a Dr Pepper. If it was a Pepsi, I said it was from North Carolina, and that's what you did. If you grew up in this area, but there, everything that's a soft drink is a soda pop. Like, I don't understand that. And so I grew up, like, and they would ask me to say the word uh, W-A-T-E-R. And they say water or something. It's just some weird, I can't even do it right. But it's water. That's the way I grew up saying it. And uh, Walmart apparently does not have an S at the end. And I realized that later, and that actually makes sense because, yes, that is spelled correctly. Um, and so I'll give them that. So I never, though, understood uh, how much growing up in the South affected me until I lived somewhere else. It's just one of the things that I ignorantly took for granted. Uh, another thing I would say, even being an American, I didn't know what it was like to be, uh, how much being an American has affected me until I moved, or I went and traveled overseas to uh, East Asia, I've been to Africa, I've been to Thailand, I've been to other places, and now seeing these other places, it realized I have a certain perspective because I'm American, I have a certain perspective because I'm Southern, and so I didn't realize these things, though, until I saw something else, and so I realized there's a lot that I take for granted. Now, here's the thing about the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ is one of those things that we often take for granted. It's even sometimes left off in, in gospel presentations. Well, Jesus died for you. You know, get, put your faith in him. We often even leave off even the great story that Jesus actually rose from the grave. And so sometimes it, it can be somewhat of an afterthought. Sometimes we don't realize uh, how it actually impacts our daily life. Now, hopefully you understand the implications of the resurrection, that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. He lived this perfect and sinless life, and he died on the cross on our behalf for our sin in our place, and he conquered the penalty of Satan, sin, and death three days later when he rose from the grave. 
And so hopefully we understand, uh, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, that if Christ did not resurrect from the grave, we live with no hope. We're still in our sins, and we do not have the offer of eternal life. And so those are the implications of the resurrection. They're wonderful, and we've preached about them multiple times on Easter Sunday here at Integrity. But what I want us to realize is there's practical implications of the the resurrection that are true for us as well, that they, they influence the way that we live. They should influence the way that we live our lives every day if we're believers. And so my goal this morning is for us to discover how the resurrection should impact our everyday life. And so here's what we have. We're in Acts 3 this morning, but let me just tell you a little bit about what's going on. Acts chapter 2, you see the event of Pentecost. The event of Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit falls upon the church. And we said it last week when we were going through the book of Acts. We said uh, it's, it's like the grand opening of the church. It's the, it's, it's the grand op- opening of the movement of the gospel. And so then what you begin to see is believers, 3,000 believers, uh, 3,000 people become believers in Christ, and then they are to take the gospel to the nations, and they are to be the witnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So in Acts 3, we begin to see those people begin to scatter out of Jerusalem where this event of Pentecost took place, and they begin to share the gospel wherever they go. And so it's not about these big events anymore. It's just about people going and sharing the gospel. And so in Acts chapter 3, we see the first account where the gospel is being sent out of um, the the, uh, close-knit group of community of believers. And now it's going to individuals that the apostles saw. And so we see this in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. This is what the Word of God says. Now, Peter and John... We're going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the night hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him. As did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Now, let me tell you what's going on. You have the scene where Peter and John, they're going to the temple to pray. We're told that they did this the ninth hour, which is sometime, according to the Jewish calendar, it was sometime in the afternoon. And here at the temple, they see this man who has been. Uh, He's near the beautiful gate, which we don't know exactly where that is, but this man has been unable to walk his entire life. He's not thinking that he'll ever walk again, so he simply asked these two uh, apostles uh, for alms, for money. Now, he gets more than what he bargains for, and that's what I love about this text. Verse 6 and 7 says this, But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, But what I do have, I'll give it to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up and immediately his feet 
and ankles were made strong. Now, I want you to see how important this is. This is an amazing miracle from God. It breaks all natural laws. And let me just remind you that the Gospel of Luke was written by Luke, the medical doctor. And also, the book of Acts was written by Luke, the medical doctor. And so we have a doctor describing how this medical miracle uh, has broke through all natural laws, and he even goes into the details of this. He says, okay, I'm going to remind you that this man was, had to be carried to the temple. He could not walk before this. You even look at um, verse 7, his feet and his ankles were made strong. It was this supernatural work that took place. And so then, then Luke records that the disciples said, rise up and walk. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 shows that he does not follow instructions well at all. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. There's no crawl before you walk here, is there? He immediately jumps and begins to jump in the air and leap through the air and leap to the streets praising God. Now, if this passage was just about the miracle, it would have stopped here. If this passage was just about the humanitarian efforts of the church or meeting physical needs of meeting people's physical needs, or just about having compassion for those who need it, the text would stop here. Obviously, those things are wonderful things, but the good news is the passage does not stop here. Because none of those things that I just mentioned can actually save a person. As wonderful it is, is to have the ability to walk, most, most of us do have that privilege. But there are many who can walk who are still unfulfilled. As he asks for money, as much as it is a, a gift to have money. However, we live in one of the richest countries in the world, and most people still don't believe they have enough. If it was about having good faith, a good, good health, obviously good health is a blessing. However, there are many people who are physically healthy, but they're spiritually sick. And so the passage, it does not stop here. Because if God, if he could give you everything that this world could offer, it would not be enough. And that's why we need Christ. Because God's created things are not created to give us ultimate joy. God's created things are to point us to him who is the creator where true joy is found. And so this is the reason why this miracle takes place. It takes place so that the gospel would be displayed. And that's what we see in verse 11. It says this, And while he clung, this man who was healed, he clung to Peter and John, and all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, 
Why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? Now, again, this story is not necessarily about the miracle. Uh, Wonderful miracles do take place. This is a wonderful miracle. Let me just say this. Some people will often say, man, I want miracles to happen like they do in the book of Acts. And when I hear that, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like we we have in our church right now a young boy who was uh, last week attached to an ECMO machine that allowed his heart and his lungs to function. That is a miracle. And that's a miracle ordained by a sovereign and loving God. If anybody has been healed from a disease or a sickness, do you realize that you were healed from a disease or sickness because a sovereign God has given you that freedom to do so. He's given you, he's cured you of that sickness or disease. There's no one that's ever been cured, that hasn't been cured by God. God has cured everyone who is sick and is now well, but it's still not enough. And so here's why I tell you that. I, I, I don't want you to, to be the person that goes to the hospital and looks at a person in a wheelchair and says, get up and walk, all right? I don't think that's going to go well for you, all right? The point of this miracle is so that Peter could say what he says next. Verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom he delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But when you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead, to this we are witnesses. That's a very key phrase. I want you to hold on to that one. And by his name, by by faith in his name, he has made this man strong, you see, and that the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of all of you. I love this. Here's why. You have this amazing miracle. If I would have been had the faith to look at a man who was lame and said, get up and walk, and he did it, it would be really hard for me not to be like, I did that. That was me. Did you guys see what I just did? I told the dude, and he did it. That would be incredible. Like, I would want that attention for a moment to, to be on me. But what does Peter and John do? They said, no, it's not about us. It's about the one that is the God of Moses, the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham. The ones that you look to, it's that God who did this. And then what he does is he gets into this very controversial sermon where he looks at this crowd and he tells them they are responsible for Jesus's death. Now this is like the, he does it three times in this passage alone. And this is the second time he's done this in a sermon. He did it in Acts chapter two. He did it in verse 23 and and 36 in Acts chapter two. He does it three different times in Acts chapter three. He looks at this crowd of let's just say hundred or so people. And he looks at him and says, you killed Jesus. 
What does that mean? Does that mean they physically killed Jesus? Well, certainly there may have been people there that were present when Jesus was crucified. But as a whole, most of the people that were at this miracle, who witnessed this miracle, were not there when Jesus was physically crucified. Even when he says that in Acts 2, when he looks at the crowd of six, 7,000 people, and he says, you're responsible for killing Jesus, he's not saying they physically did that. So how is it that Peter can make this bold statement to this crowd of people who just witnessed this miracle, they killed, you killed Jesus? How can he say that? Well, here's the thing. I don't know if you know this or not, but you cannot kill God. All right? Sorry to bust your bubble on that one. You can't kill God. Welcome to integrity. You can't kill God. Okay? Because God cannot be physically killed. And Jesus even says it this way in John chapter 10, verse 17 through 18. Jesus says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, and I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. What is Jesus saying? No one can kill me. I lay my own life down, and I raise my own life up. Because he's, he can say that because he's God. So how is it that Peter can look at a crowd and say, you killed Jesus, when Jesus is saying, I can't be killed? What is it that killed Jesus? It's our sin. And that, that is what Paul says throughout the Gospels, I mean, throughout the um, New Testament. Romans 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. God, when Jesus died on the cross, he absorbed God's wrath, which means he took on our sin. That is why Jesus died. He died for our sins. And all of us are responsible for Jesus' death because all have sin. It's our sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. Over a decade ago, perhaps, you saw the movie Passion of the Christ and um, movie directed by Mel Gibson, and most of you don't realize this, but he was actually in that movie. Um, it wasn't like a starring role like he normally takes, but the only part he had in the movie was when Jesus' hand was being nailed to the cross. And guess whose hand it showed nailing Jesus' hand to the cross? It was Mel Gibson's hand. And the point that he was trying to make was in that was he has a part in that. Now, I don't even know if he's like a believer or how that affected his life to be, you know, direct that scene, but that's what he was saying. I have a role in this. And that's true for all of us. Peter is saying this to the crowd because it's true for all of us. Now, I want you to feel the weight of this text. Peter is saying this to a crowd who could eventually put him to death, which is actually what happens later. And what we see is Peter in chapter 2, Peter in chapter 3, he's preaching these very risky messages. He looks at the crowd and says, you killed Jesus. And telling a crowd that, I mean, he would be a horrible American pastor. He's not seeker-friendly at all. 
He's not afraid to proclaim the truth. But let me remind you that this guy who's getting up and speaking these bold messages, he was just a fisherman. That Jesus said, you, follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. And what do we know about Peter? Well, he's sort of a loose cannon. We know that he can often talk a big game. He says a lot of crazy things throughout the Gospels. Like he's the guy in Luke 9 where um, Jesus and the disciples, they go to Samaria and the Samaritans reject Jesus. And so Peter like takes Jesus aside and he goes, hey Jesus, um, do you want me to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume these clowns? And Jesus rebukes him. I mean, he's just saying crazy things. Like, like he thought he could wield that power and do that because he saw Jesus do all these miracles. And then you can see in like Matthew 16, Jesus foretells his death. And then it says, the text says that Peter rebuked Jesus. What an idiot, right? This is not going to happen to you, Jesus. You're not going to die on the cross. You're just joking around with us, right? No, you're going you're gonna to rule and overthrow Rome. That's what you're going to do. You're not going to die on the cross. That's ridiculous. And then you even see in John 18, when Jesus is finally arrested, a soldier has him captive. What does Peter do? He pulls out a sword and chops off the guy's ear. And it's a weird story. This is Jesus picks up the guy's ear and puts it on the guy's head. Like, I would love to see that when I get to heaven, the holy VCR in heaven. Like, show me that scene. I want to see that. And when we have this guy, he's this loose cannon. He just does these crazy things that don't make any sense. Like, I have biblical evidence that he's probably a redhead. He just shoots from the hip. He's, he's, he's this fiery person. And then we also know he's kind of a coward. We know that because of Matthew 26, Peter tells Jesus, he says, one of you will deny me. I won't be me. He's the first one to say it. He's also the first one to deny him. The very same night, two times, in front of a young servant girl, she asked him, aren't you the guy with Jesus? I don't know. Hey, Jesus, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. No, I'll blah. You know, he's like trying to push it away. No, no, I don't know who you're talking about. And then you see the crowd of people when Jesus is on trial. Oh, I, I, I don't know that man. I've never seen that person before. He denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. And so you have this guy who was a follower of Jesus who says these crazy things. He's hot-headed. He's a coward. And based on all these gospel accounts, he really doesn't get Jesus. He misunderstood what Jesus was about. But then in Acts 2, in Acts 3, you see the same guy have the boldness and the faith to stand up in front of thousands of people and call them to repent and believe in the gospel. You see this man in the very next chapter walking to the temple to pray, and he sees a man who's sick or, or, or unable to walk, and he just tells him, get up and walk. Like, where did this come from? This guy is this hillbilly fisherman who was a loose cannon throughout the Gospels, and now he has this supreme faith. Where does this come from? Well, I think he tells us in just one simple line in Acts chapter 3. He says this, He killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. And then he says, To this we 
are witnesses. The reason why Peter had this boldness to live out the gospel is because he physically saw the resurrected Christ. And we even see this played out in the next few verses. Verse 17, he says, And now, brothers, I know that you've acted in ignorance as as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Now, what Peter just said was... All the prophets, everything that was said about Jesus from Moses, from Abraham, we're going to see that even later in Acts 3 next week, Moses and Abraham, what they spoke about was not about Israel, but it was about Jesus. Every single prophet before was to prepare the world for the coming Savior, for Jesus. And so when he gets up and says, I'm an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ, I believe in what he says to be true, and I believe that every single person who spoke about him before was right. And here's the irony of this. Peter got this idea from the very mouth of Jesus. And let me take you to the moment where he heard Jesus say this. It's in Luke 24. Luke 24 is, we have this scene of the empty tomb, where Peter goes to the empty tomb and he just sees these these um, uh, clothes just left in the tomb, these linens left in the tomb. And the text tells us in Luke 24 that Luke ran away from the tomb and he went home marveling at what had happened. And then later in Luke 24, we see uh, Jesus finding his disciples who were in hiding. And they don't believe what they saw when Jesus walked in the room. Some people didn't even recognize him. Jesus invites them. You can touch my hands. You can touch my arms. You can touch. I am the physical, resurrected Christ that you know. And then the text is just weird. I'll be honest. Like, it's a weird place in Scripture because it says they blowed him a fish and they gave it to him. <laughs> it's like... I know you like fish tacos before. I just want to make sure you still like fish tacos after you died on the cross. Because that's what happens. They give him a fit, and then he ate it. I think that's just evidence, again, he's a real person that came back to life. And then as this takes place, Jesus reminds him of something. Here's the irony of this. Stay with me. What he reminds him of, the disciples of in this moment, is exactly what Peter just said to this crowd. Look in verse 44. It says this, Luke 24, verse 44, he said to them, These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets Psalms must be fulfilled. What did he say about Scripture? What did he say about the Old Testament? It was all about me. The Psalms, the prophets, the law of Moses, everything was about me. 
And then the text says this, and this is where I think Peter believed. Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the grave. Again, he's going back. This is what's written in the Old Testament. It's true about me. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. What Jesus said in Luke 24 is what is happening right here in Acts chapter 3. And that is what gave Peter the boldness to preach these wonderful truths where he went from this ignorant fisherman to this man who now preaches these provocative gospel-centered messages that leaves these, these, this, these crowds dumbfounded. Because he saw the risen Christ. And by seeing the risen Christ, he was in, his eyes were open to the gospel and the scriptures. And that is what gave him the boldness to live out his faith. Some people wonder when the disciples, when did they become believers? When Jesus told them to follow him, was it earlier in, in uh, the Gospels? Was it later in the Gospels? Was it the Pentecost? I think it's here. I think it's here. When he opened their minds to the scriptures and they believed, they saw the risen Christ. So Jesus told them, if you are see the risen Christ and if your eyes have been opened to the scriptures, if your mind has been opened to the scriptures, if your heart has been softened to the gospel, he says, you will then be witnesses of these things. You will be witnesses of the risen Christ. So all Peter is doing in Acts 3 is he's just living out what Jesus said he would do because he saw the risen Christ. So what's the point of this story? We have this incredible miracle where a person who's never been able to walk is now leaping and jumping and rejoicing in the streets. What a wonderful miracle. But here's the thing. We see Peter talk about the greatest miracle. And the greatest miracle is that Jesus saves sinners. And Jesus takes something that is dead and he makes it alive. And then not only that, but he makes those who are alive witnesses, eyewitnesses of all that Christ has done. So brothers and sisters in this room, you may not be a eyewitness of the physical resurrected Christ, but you are an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. Why? Because every single day, when you share the gospel, you have the opportunity of seeing something that was once dead and now brought to life. We saw that this morning when these two young ladies got into this feeding trough. And they laid there and they said, this is the way that my life used to be. And now the symbol of that is they go under the water and they come back up. And what happens? What does that represent when they come back up? New life. Resurrection. And so the implications of the resurrection is that you and I, we get to see and experience the greatest miracle of all. We get to see death be brought 
to life. And so here's the thing. Peter believed, believed that that man would walk again. Why did he believe that man could walk again? He saw Jesus, the resurrected Savior. And when he saw that Jesus could conquer death, he could physically conquer death, he believed that Jesus could do anything. He said this is child's play for him to raise, allow this man to walk. This is amateur hour to make this man walk again because my Jesus is resurrected from the grave. And so here's the thing about you and me. If you're a believer in Christ, that means you've done what Peter said that you would do. You would repent of your sins and you would believe in the gospel and your hope and your trust would be put only and solely on Christ. That your sins would be blotted out. That's what he says in verse 19. Your, your sins would be forgiven because you realize that you're a sinner and you're in need of a Savior. And that's where our sins are forgiven. If you are a believer in Christ, you have seen in your own life resurrection. You have seen death be brought to life. And so here's the faith that the resurrection does. Here's the implications of the resurrection. Because if Jesus can save you and me, he can save anyone he wants. And you believe, you, you live believing that. You live believing he's done a miracle in my life by saving me from my sin, and he can do the same miracle in anyone else's life. This is why I get really irritated with like really religious people who think that well, there's a certain type of sin that won't, you, know, you can't get in if you struggle with this type of sin. If you're this way, you'll never be. Like, no, there's not a type of person that Jesus saves. Jesus can save whoever he wants. There is no sin too great for the cross of Christ. And so my hope is that we would see salvation as the greatest miracle and now we live as witnesses of the resurrection because we believe that what God did when he saved us is he took what is dead and he brought it to life. And therefore, we have nothing to be ashamed of when we proclaim the gospel. And we have all the confidence that Peter had when he believed that this man could be healed. We have all the confidence when we go and share that Jesus does this work. Jesus opens the minds and the hearts as he did with the disciples when they saw the scriptures. Jesus gives us the, the, the faith to see our sin and to repent of our sins. Jesus gives us the faith to believe in the gospel. Jesus took me, a, a sinner, and he saved me. And Jesus brought me from death to life. So this morning, you and I, because of the resurrection of Christ, we get to be witnesses. We get to be sent out for the sake of the gospel to say, I've seen the risen Christ work in my life by making me from someone who was dead to someone who was alive. And we, every single day, get to see miracles happen because we get a front row seat as a church to see Jesus save sinners who need a Savior. So this morning, let us worship Him as we boldly proclaim 
as Peter did. God, we are witnesses of the risen Christ. What a privilege. What a joy. Let us pray. Jesus, you've given us everything in Christ. And we thank you. Thank you, Lord, that the text does not stop just a physical miracle. Thank you that the text does not stop where these apostles just gave him money and they continue to walk away. No, the text continues because the text shows us in Acts 3 that Jesus is alive. And Lord, for those of us who believe, we get to be eyewitnesses witnesses.